Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we are joined by guests from the financial advice space to discuss some of the hot topics in the industry at the time. One phrase we've heard a lot in the past year is mergers and acquisitions, or abbreviated M&A. Over 2021, there has been a flurry of activity and we have seen a surge in the number of startup consolidators popping up as well as a lot of private equity deals. In today's podcast, we'll be talking about what has been driving the business of this market and what we can expect to see this year. I'm Sonia Raj, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today are Louise Jeffries, Managing Director at Gunner & Co, and Heather Hopkins, Managing Director at Nextwell. Hi both. Good afternoon. Hello. So the M&A market has felt kind of like it was busier than ever over 2021, or maybe just because we were kind of desperate for news that wasn't around COVID that I drowned out everything else. But you guys can probably see whether that was the case statistically, but it definitely felt like it was quite busy in this space. Maybe I'll start with you, Louise. Would you say that it's fair to say that it was kind of busier than, than ever before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a snowball and, and it's a snowball that, that continues to grow at the moment. I think we put out some stats at the year end um, and Sonia, correct me if I'm wrong, because I gave them to you. But I think we saw that, you know, it was significantly bigger than last year, something like 50 percent of volume of transactions. But again, then 20 percent higher than 2019. Um, I think those are the stats that I gave you at the end of last year. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that as you mentioned, we've got these the new buyers entering the market that are opening up markets for business owners that might not have sold in the past, um, which I think is driving some of that transaction growth. But yes, yeah, it's, it's it's nonstop. And and how about yourself, Heather? What have you kind of uh, have you felt kind of it's been the same, or um, what are your views on that? So there was, I mean, there was definitely a huge number of deals announced. I think, I think one of the really interesting things is thinking about um, whether that's new or whether that's just deals that have been in the pipeline for a while. Because, I mean, our view at Next Wealth is that actually the pace of consolidation in the financial advisor market might be tailing off, because we're hearing from some brokers and consultants that the number of new firms contacting them looking to sell has really dried up. But there's loads of firms looking to buy and you know of course higher and higher valuations which we've been seeing might continue to force that, that appetite to increase but there's there's a couple of things I'll point to so the figures being paid the multiples being paid have been really well reported and so you know firms know what they can get um, and you know if they haven't if they haven't bitten that carrot yet or are they looking to sell I think there's another couple of issues that the last a year and a half has been really tough with figuring out how to work remotely, with PI premiums increasing, risk in businesses growing as you have staff working remotely and you can't necessarily oversee the security of the environment within which they're working. So there was a lot of things. There was that carrot of the multiples that were being paid along with the stick of, of just it being harder to run a, a business over the last couple of years. And if, if advisors haven't responded to those things that are advice business owners, or are they looking to sell or are they looking for a different route? And there's definitely, you know, more firms that will continue to look for, you know, principals looking for an exit. So there will certainly be some activity. But I think the volume we've seen over the last couple of years, I don't see that as sustainable looking forward. And, and I think that firms are actually more focused on organic growth now. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there have been a lot more firms, I think, in this space that are providing kind of exit routes for for some of these advisors who are retiring or just kind of are, are ready to leave. And, and that kind of brought me on to one of my questions around, I guess, given how busy it was and, and how the market has been, do you think that how much longer can it remain this this busy? And I think obviously you've said it, it doesn't seem like it'd be sustainable. I mean, Louise, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Do you Do you agree, disagree? Yeah, I think a couple of points to pick up from what Heather has said. I think this question around what's in the pipeline is really key because actually the time it takes to do a deal, certainly from our um, analysis, is it's significant. And so, you know, deals aren't happening, you know, they're not starting and completing within three, four, five months. And in fact, you know, I find that business owners are often brewing and, and to a degree building their exit strategies for years. Um, and I mean, we completed something last week, or, or we announced it at least last week, where I've known the guys since 2016. And it's been a conversation on their strategic agenda for all those years. And it just so happened that, you know, that's when the transaction happened. I, I, I mean, I guess also, and it's it's quite a, a narrow window, but from our experience in terms of new businesses coming to us and, and inquiries coming into our business as brokers, we've seen a, a, a huge increase in that. Now, some of that I think will be off the back of more defined marketing. Uh, and in fact, a change, I guess, in our marketing because we did a lot of face-to-face stuff before COVID. And because we moved to, to a more digital-led marketing approach, we probably reached more people. But in terms of sort of incoming inquiries, we have seen quite an uptick in that. And I think, though, that is quite, you know, that's quite a narrow view as to what that means for overall volumes. I think there's two things to come. I think we've still got this aging population, obviously, of advisors. We do work with a number of companies that say they're eight to 10 years out. We worked with a number of medium-sized buyers who are buying now but are going to sell in 10 to 12 years. And I do think that the the startup consolidator market that we've been talking about, and I certainly have been talking about a lot recently, predominantly they're looking to grow to a significant um, size to to look at listings. That's what they typically talk about. And I don't think all of that, all of those will happen. And I think there will be consolidation of a number of those buyers as they get to sort of four, five, six, seven billion under management. And so I think there's, there's, you know, there's two things still to come or or one of them remaining, the the aging advisor and then the start of consolidation of those buyers. Just bringing it back a little bit in terms of how long do you think it will be sustainable for? I mean, how much longer can it stay this busy? I guess the question is that we probably can't answer is the the definition of busy. I think that we're going to see transactions for the next 10, 12 years, I'd like to, I mean, I think eight to 10 on retirees, and then we're still going to see some of these buyers flipping, changing hands over the next decade. But the frequency and the busyness, that's the question that I'm not sure I know the answer to. No, and I think you summarized it quite well in terms of bringing in some of those startup consolidators um, and kind of where they sit in the in the bigger picture. In terms of, I guess, just kind of what could bring it all to an end, i.e. stop a lot of the M&A activity going on, what do you think it would be that would essentially halt it? I think the 
interest of the private equity houses how long they're you know they're interested because there's so many opportunities for growth there's acquisition growth there's client investment growth there's um, stock market growth you know there's lots of reasons at the moment for those private equity investors to be extremely um, interested in the market I think as that wanes because the consolidation has fallen away the, the the volume of opportunity out there and the value of opportunity has as has fallen I think that will bring frequency significantly down what are your thoughts on that Heather so I think if I if I look at it from the other other way what would continue to drop because I, th- I think there's um the, you know the, the big driver has been um if I was just looking for an exit and um and well-publicized multiples that are available because they're certainly you know, that's appealing. But I think you know if you look at, at what's causing reluctance, why would somebody be reluctant to sell their business? It's because they're worried about how their customers will be treated. And and if you've been a financial advisor and looking in the whites of the eyes of your customers and um and you have a you know a really close relationship because it is a it is a relationship based business you want to make sure that the decision that you're making for your business isn't just right for your you and the partners in the business but also for the customers and and I don't doubt that all advisors who've exited have, have had that front of mind um, but I think there's a there's a requirement for the consolidators to really make that case about how customers are treated how employees of advice firms that are acquired are treated post-acquisition and I think there's some really promising things happening with a lot of talk about the importance of cultural fit. So the due diligence process, as Louise talked about, is quite long. It's not It's not an overnight decision. It's a decision that's taken really seriously on both sides and making sure that there's a really strong cultural fit for the employees coming into the business and the way that the customers have been, um, you know, how, how they've been treated and how those those portfolios have been managed. Um, so I think I think there's a, it's incumbent on those consolidators to really make the case that they're a good home for those customers and that's what will um, help to keep the market going. Um, I mean, in terms of appetite, our research suggests that the number, the percentage of advisors that say that they're looking to exit by selling the business has decreased from uh, about a fifth a year ago to about 5% in our most recent survey. And that was that was a year between those. And then proportion looking to organically grow the business has really risen. And so um, I think the other thing that would be really interesting is to look at what other options are available in terms of organic succession plans. Those are really, really complicated, making sure that people can get paid for the work you know, for the business that they've built, but also not burden the people who are taking over too much. Um, so, you know, thinking about what what alternatives exist. Um, the, where the appetite strongest to sell the business is actually among sole traders and firms with two advisors. And those are the ones that aren't usually the targets of the consolidators. And so I think there's some really interesting opportunities for networks to offer a retirement model to client or to advisors to help them transition out of their business um, but also be rewarded for for that book of business that they've built. Yeah, I, I think that's a really key point, actually. Maybe if I can jump in there, sure. because five, six, seven years ago, businesses with one, two advisors were quite sought after from the um, acquiring from the buyer markets. And it certainly has become significantly hard. You know, they still exist out there and they're often, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're often the older um, business owners and 
getting the successful exit plan for those companies has become more challenging. I mean, we see that's where more mid-sized regional buyers are stepping in and picking up some of those local firms to grow their bulk, to make them more appealing for their exit strategy. And of course, to take the positives of the growth in in the meantime before they exit. But it's definitely harder now if you're a smaller business to have your pick of buyers. You both kind of raised some quite interesting points and stuff that I guess I've been speaking to with advisors is aside from from kind of having a succession plan or having somewhere to kind of go next. It's it's also making sure that I guess the, where the clients are moving to are going to be looked after in the same way that they have been because of the loyalty that that client has built with that advisor is almost they don't want to just sell to any firm, to any big firm, to any any firm they they kind of want to make sure that that those sort of the culture aligns and and the values align and and they'll be able to service those clients in the same way so I think that's kind of a a, a sort of separate point to what you guys were just mentioning but you know Heather mentioned that some of the areas with the succession that would kind of be I guess one of the things that advisors are um, are talking about a lot one of the other trends that we've touched on, which is the a lot of the private equity firms kind of moving into the space and, and specifically US firms, what could the end state of the advice profession look like in, in the UK? So, for example, will it be not largely dominated by nationals like in the US or, or do we kind of see it to be a little bit different here and, and where are we going with that? I think we're likely to end up with a dominant number of firms, but I do think that they will maintain a local presence. I think that advice being delivered locally will continue or regionally will continue. I think it's interesting at the moment that generally speaking, financial planning firms, that there are very few household names. And in fact, a client of mine is saying he wants to sell his firm, but only to a household name that his clients will have heard of. And the challenge there is the the companies that want to buy him are not household names and the household names are too big to buy him. So I think that we're not seeing a lot of youngsters coming into the market as business owners. We're seeing them through academies, through employment roles. So I think, yeah, I think we're likely to end up with a much smaller number of professional organisations, but with visibility on the ground with with regional presence to deliver client service. What are your thoughts on that Heather? Are you aligned with what um, Louise just said? So I definitely I I, I think when Louise started and and I got this wrong but I think that there's room for all models. I think there's definitely going to be some big firms that are dominant but there's also always going to be this cottage industry of financial planning firms and I think there's often a distinction between some of the larger vertically integrated firms where they offer financial advice and they advise on the products that the firm sells and it's more of an advice led rather than a planning led. It's not 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 always the case, but there is a bit of a difference there in, in many cases. I think that the there's a couple of challenges for big firms that it's very difficult to scale advice because it is relationship driven because of the compliance requirements on it. So, so I think that there's going to have to be some 
uh, a real review of the operational side of advice businesses to help make them scalable. Because at the moment, if you look at the figures from the FCA that they publish as part of their RMAR reports, the larger firms earn less in fee income per advisor than smaller firms. And, and I exclude sole traders in that analysis because sole traders typically get their, there's differences in the way that they, they report income. So I think, I think that's one of the challenges. The other thing is the relationship and where leads and referrals come from, that it sometimes um, plays to the strengths of smaller firms. Um, and sorry, one, one last point is that our research shows that the fees that clients pay for financial advice and the product are higher in bigger firms than in smaller firms. So I think this idea that some some have and, and some in the regulator have that consumers get better outcome and better advice from larger firms is often not the case. And there's evidence to say it's not the case. So yes, we will see some larger firms. I think there's some chal- you know, there's some challenges for those firms to make advice scalable, but there's real opportunities for those smaller financial planning firms to build really strong relationships with their clients. I think we'll continue to see a thriving market there. Yeah. And I think that seems to be a, a big theme at the moment of that relationship building and, and kind of seeing where where we're at at the moment is not something that is going to is going to end anytime soon so in terms of I guess just rounding up our, our conversation and just seeing what we can expect for 2022 what is currently driving M&A in to summarize and what do you expect to be see as some of the highlights of 2022 I think we'll continue to see a lot of activity around M&A in 2022 because it's a, it's a residual of deals that are already in the pipeline. I, I expect that from 2023, we'll start to see that drying up a bit. I think it'll be really, really interesting to watch. So what I'm going to be watching for are the PE-backed consolidators. Where do they start deploying their capital? Because um, PE firms have to pay penalties to their investors if they have capital not deployed. And that money isn't sitting in bank accounts of the financial advice firms. It's sitting in the accounts of the PE firms, and they have a lot of pressure on them to deploy that capital. So they might look at different markets for acquisitions. We might see some really interesting activity in advisor tech. We might see some of those financial advice businesses buying um, DFMs and investment houses. So I think that where we see consolidation in the market will start to change a little bit as the demand from those mid-sized financial advice businesses to be acquired dries up a bit because there's a you know there's only five and a half thousand firms right um there's only a certain number um that can be acquired um so i think 2023 is actually the year we'll start to see things changing but in 2022 you might see the pe money moving in interesting places a question on the back of what you've just said is given where we're heading with with pe firms if we put that aside and see how many advisors there are in the aging population do you think there'll be more advisors coming in uh, in terms of younger advisors through academies um through other means or do you think that'll stay flat in terms of how it's always been so I think there's a really strong um, pipeline of people coming into the industry. I think one of the biggest challenges for firms is hiring experienced advisors. And so a lot of firms are looking to organically develop people within their business and give them career paths. And I think it's really exciting, the initiatives that are happening to support smaller firms. We are sponsors of the We Are Change initiative to bring in new people 
into the industry and train them up so that you get this pool of people who've already done their exams. Um, so for smaller firms looking to recruit, they don't have to necessarily sponsor people through that. The Next Gen Planners Group are doing a lot of really interesting things with their training contract. Um, and then big firms, you know, have, have academies and training programs and are looking at career paths. So I think there's really, really interesting things happening, but we're not going to see the volumes change in 2022 because it's a it's a it's a long term shift, um, and the labour market is incredibly tight at the moment. And um, finding people who are skilled in financial advice is is it's just not going to happen this year. Sure. And and what are your thoughts on that, Louise? A couple of points to pick up on from Heather that I agree. You know, coming into next year, the deals that we see certainly in the first nine months are almost certainly in play now. There's very few of them that are just going to spring out of nowhere. I think that. In terms of going into 2023 and the volume drop and, and to Heather's point around the PE funds holding that money, I think that's a key point there because it's not simple enough just to call a broker like us and say, I've got you know 120 million on account to spend, what can we buy? There's so much competition over what's available to be bought out there that they aren't all going to succeed in deploying all of those funds to Heather's point. And I think it's really interesting to think about where that money will be spent. It's not something that I've been thinking about. And it's I, I think she's right there, you know, how else are they going to deploy those funds because they won't be able to get all of the deals away that they need to within just the financial planning sector. I think it remains to be seen in 2023, though, if we do have that level of drop-off in volume, because unquestionably there is a imbalance of supply and demand. We absolutely have more buyers than businesses for sale but I think that's not to say that the volume of sales won't increase so we'll see Uh, certainly where you know we sort of plan out two three four years in advance so we've got an idea of the sort of volumes of deals that we will be working on coming through into 2023-2024 and those are higher numbers than we've seen but they're you know they could that's not the whole market clearly. Yeah, no, and it's been really interesting. I guess just getting the the two views because I guess some of the some of your opinions have been quite um, different, and then and some parts they've been the same. So hopefully it was an interesting listen for uh, our readers. And I just wanted to thank you both because I think we're running out of time now. So thank you both for joining me and and coming on. It was it was really interesting, and I hope you also enjoyed being uh, a part of the FT Advisor podcast. So thanks for listening, everyone. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.